You know, we, we sing songs in churches that say, Love lifted me. Oh, how I love Jesus. I love you, Lord. We speak on love, but we never exuberate love. We never show people love and how that must hurt the cause of Christ. I've been preaching on these messages on offenses and suffering. What a difficult topic to preach on. And what you need to understand and know is that for 10 years I've been trying and praying about it. Peace never came to me. I wanted to speak on offenses. Not so much on how to handle offenses, but how offenses affect us in our lives. We are family. We are friends. Suffering comes through offenses. But we never make our offenses right. Because the family is the basic unit of society, and it is there that we learn who we are. It is there that we learn our identity. We find our self-worth, and it is there that we are to be taken care of, and what? And nurtured. Because it has great potential for unity. Listen closely. The family also has great potential for division. Great potential for division. Lasting divisions. I can't help but to think of all the families that are torn by jealousy. When one person has more than the other, there is separation because of those that are jealous. When there is favoritism among children or among parents, God bless you. When there is meanness and people taking advantage of one another, perhaps taking or using someone's credit card and not paying it back. On and on, I could go, we could go, and you could give a list of things that could go wrong in relationships. Like inheritance issues that can divide families permanently. Isn't it amazing that when your parent comes to you and says, we would like you to be the executor of the estate or of the will, what ends up taking place? You feel honored, you feel proud, you feel blessed, and then all of a sudden, mom dies, dad dies, they pass away, and now you stand with a piece of paper, the one that has to deliver Good news, bad news, indifferent news to many people. What happens? Hardship, divisions, adversity. I, I can give you an illustration of this too, that even children moving in with their parents and strife and contentment kick up. What happens is all of a sudden, and, and it amazes me, that so many will get engaged. They'll go ahead and say that we want to get married. And when we get married, we're going to live with mommy and dada. People come into my office. I'm like, where are you living? Are you going to take care of her? That's your responsibility. What are you going to do? Where are you going to live? How are you going to provide for her? It is your responsibility. 
They move in. All of a sudden, guess what takes place? Because son moves in with mom and dad. Mom gets mad at the daughter. The son takes up mom and dad's offense. Next thing you know, wifey is alienated. Division takes place. Do I hear an amen up in there? Division takes place. Be very careful. I love what the scripture says, and the Bible clearly states that a man shall leave his father and mother. Heller. That means you're to move out. I say to, to many all the time, what in the world? That would be uncomfortable for me, if you know what I'm saying. Being in the same house with your parents, living in the same house, it's uncomfortable. So, get out, move on, and, and, and really, really try to make a go. So today I'm going to get right into the message to speak on a wonderful character. The name of Isaac. What a great character. The son of Abraham. To be able to talk about conflict, differences, and suffering. And yet, Isaac has a lovely wife. And she has a lovely name. She has a lovely attitude. She has lovely eyes. She has lovely everything. Let me give you one guess. Because I kind of expounded. What's... His wife's name, Rebecca. Okay, so I know of one lovely lady that's here today. Hmm. But her name is Becky, it's not Rebecca. Okay, please take your Bible with me and turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. I just had to add that in there, just a little funny for you. A little something, something. Genesis 25, here we have the story of where she is pregnant, she is facing some struggles within her, and she asks the Lord in verse 23. Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, and she says, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And the Lord answers her and says, There are two nations in your womb. Two people within you will be divided. You see, the one will be stronger. The other will be the weaker. And the older shall serve the younger. And we discover that twins are born in verse 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold... There were twins in her womb. Now they grow up and Esau becomes the hunter and the favorite of Isaac. And Jacob stays home and becomes the favorite of Rebekah. And here we have it. The platform is set. The stage is ready. And now the play begins. Here comes conflict. The purpose for these messages... In this series of suffering and offenses, so that conflict will be resolved, and therefore your life changes. So church, I pray that you have been listening to these messages. Because it is a story of conflict, 
But you see, in this, the end of this, the story truly is of reconciliation. Two things happen that cause division that will last for 20 years and actually really beyond that 20 years. Two things here. We zero in on Jacob because the Bible says that Esau is out hunting. He comes home and he is starved. So let's go ahead and we're going to go right. I'm skipping around. We're skipping into some of the verses. But for sake of a lot that I have to cover, some of the scripture that I have to cover, I'm just going to do some highlighting of this story as we understand the life of Jacob and Esau, Rebekah and Isaac. So let's look at verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, which means red. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at that point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, which he gave him soup and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Here's what he said. My appetite is so strong and I have needs right now that need to be met. I'm not interested in the future. I'm interested in the here and now. So he sacrificed the permanent on the immediate, the here and now. What a very, very bad idea. Esau was favored of Isaac, was the hunter, was loved of his father. And then there was Jacob. It says he was the keeper of the tents, keeper of the home. He went from home to home. He loved to cook. He loved to do things at the house. And so, therefore, he was favored and highly favored of his mommy, Rebecca. His mommy. And so, you can see... The plot thickens. Esau, amazing because it's customary that normally the oldest son always has the birthright. You say, well, pastor, what is that? The birthright means that he'll have all the cattle, all the wealth, everything, all of the blessings. Think about it. If you were the son of Abraham, you were the son of Isaac. Remember, there was Abraham who was in the tent. God spoke to Abraham. He walks out of the tent and God says, your descendants will be blessed as, as many as the sands on the seashore, stars in the sky. Your descendants will be blessed. Esau threw a little wah, temper tantrum and said, I want what my brother has. But you see, Rebecca went to God and said, I want to have children. And so he said, your secondborn will be blessed. And so we continue in our story. Incident number one. Here's what Esau does. He sells his birthright. Incident number two. Isaac thinks he's going to die, and actually he doesn't die. He lives for more than 40 years, and he is convinced he is going to die. So he says, go out and get some game, and when you come back, I will give you the blessing. 
Now, I'm kind of going over some things and, and giving you a highlight of the story. Rebecca overhears this and says to Jacob, let's do this. Let's trick my husband, your father. I'm going to fix something. The game that Esau would have found, I'm going to fix the goat in the way he loves it. And I'm going to give that to him. So have you, I'm going to then have you go in and pretend that you are Esau. Jacob says, but hey now, mom, listen up, mommy. My skin is smooth, and you know my brother's is rough and hairy. Rebecca's wheels, she starts turning, and she says, I will just put animal skin on you, and he will never be able to tell the difference. So deception is already starting. Division is taking place. Conflict is, is, is brewing. And so the plot thickens. Son, you will get the blessing. And now we're up to chapter 27, where all of a sudden, that's the context there of chapter 27. We notice with me, having all the background, Jacob says to his father, Hello, Daddy. I am Esau, your firstborn. The old man says, Who are you? Because you sure don't sound like it, son. I need a bag of, Who are you? You don't sound like it, sonny. There, did that make it sound more fatherly? So he says, what do you mean? Who are you? And Jacob says, I am Esau. Lie number one, he lied to his father. He says, how did you get the game so quickly if I just requested that you go out and grab the game? Jacob says, well, you see, the Lord has blessed me. Lie number two. He says, well, boy, come near me. You have the voice of Jacob, so come near me. And he fills Jacob and he looks at verse 24 of chapter 27. And we're going to read that together. Verse 24 of chapter 27, he says, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said to him, What? I am. Lie Number three, so Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob, which he thought was going to Esau. Esau comes back from the field and finds out that Jacob tricked his dad and got the birthright. And Isaac is upset and he knows he has been tricked. And therefore, the outcome is strife now between the two brothers. So here's my question to the church today. Who really run, won in all of this trickery? Who won in all of this deceit? We could say that Rebecca and Jacob won because they got the blessing. Yes, they did, but they got strife and a family that will be divided permanently. Jacob spent most of his life trying to deceive and get through manipulation. What God already intended for him, but he just had to get it on his own, taking matters in his own hands. Do you know that when they were born, there was Esau and Jacob, and it said that when Esau came into this world, that Jacob grabbed the heel of Esau. 
so he could be called heel snatcher or cheater. And so we start to notice that right then in his life, that manipulation starts to take place. And for sake of time, if you look through the stories from Genesis 25 all the way through, you'll start to see the differences and just the components and things that take place as the plot thickens. Isn't it amazing if we never make things right? It just gets worse. How many of you say you've had conflict with somebody before? Say amen. There you go. We've all had conflict. Jacob spent most of his life trying to deceive and do that with manipulation. But we have to realize we cannot take matters in our own hands. We have to realize and we know that God works all things out for his good and for his glory. When are we going to learn that? We're constantly saying, but I'm not going to let them do that to me. And you know as soon as it comes out of your mouth, because it started right here, that you know you shouldn't say it, but you say it anyhow. You know you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyhow. So therefore, it causes problems. In the last part of Genesis chapter 27, in verse 41, we see again that Rebekah is plotting. She tells her son, I want you to leave. I want you to get away from your brother. I want you to escape. I want you to go see my brother Laban. Let's read that together. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. The end. No, that's just the beginning. How many are amazed at the response of people when we start to notice that jealousy, covetousness, all these things start taking place and their attitude changes? We've seen it. We've experienced it. Esau was ticked off right from the beginning and said, listen, normally... I'm to have everything. And go ahead, have it. There you go. Take it all. And yet, he went in, he deceived his brother, got the birthright, and now Esau is madder than a hornet, and he says, I'm going to take the life of my brother. If you stop and just realize in this message... We can allow hurt to go so deep that we'll take somebody's life. We allow hurt to go so deep that we'll hurt somebody else. Grow up and talk about it. You heard last week, you saw it in the scriptures between, not last week, week before because Brent Vernon was here last week, but Cain and Abel, God looked at Cain and said, listen to me closely. Satan lies outside the door. And the same thing is taking place here. God is all-knowing. He's everywhere. And he knows exactly what Esau is going to do. And yet, do you believe that God's hand of protection is on Jacob? Yes. Because he told Rebekah, my son Jacob will be blessed. 
And so we'll see by the end of today's message why. Verse 42, And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told of Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself. He is out to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away. Until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him, then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am very weary of my life because the daughters of Heth, if Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do to me? She is one selfish, selfish woman. He marries his cousins. Now that's scary. So, we don't know the whole story, but sad part of it is, he ends up going. They're separated. There's animosity between the two of them. And here's what I think is sad. Why, why do we say, how many of you have seen it? Over time, things will heal itself. Over time, it doesn't. You don't forget. Sometimes bitterness goes straight right down to your soul, and you don't even know why you became this pretty flower, and all of a sudden all you are over here is a withered, ugly-looking rose bush with no buds on it, just thorns. And that's what took place between Esau and Jacob. Anger, animosity, resentment. And now I'm going to take your life. But Mommy, she steps in and says, Go on, son. Go to Laban. Now that's scary because that guy is not so holy himself. And we'll continue. As we move forward in this, Rebecca's potting, he plotting, he leaves, he goes and works for his brother Laban. Then we go over to uh, chapter 28. Let's keep moving. Genesis chapter 28. In the midst of it all, he leaves, and Jacob has an experience with God. Wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. Be holy, for I am holy. Wait a minute. Jacob's been doing all of this deceit. He's been doing all of these things, and yet God is still speaking to him? This Pastor, this does not make sense to me. Neither does it to me because I try to live a holy life, but yet you'll notice throughout God's Word that He always uses the humble. He always uses those that become weak so that He can lift you up and make you strong. He de- See, the problem is, so many of us, when you're proud, you know, God can't use somebody proud because I'm doing everything on my own. And yet, through Jacob fleeing all of this adversity, trying to get away from it, God comes down and speaks to him. 
And it says here in verse 12, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heavens. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy to thy seed, to thy descendants. Thank you. And so we notice there that he says again, guess what? My promise, my promise, my promise, my promise is always going to stay the same. I'm not changing. This is just your reminder. Your friendly reminder. And so he experiences God. God's blessings are on him. He ends up marrying his cousins. Now he has met his match. Good old Laban. Laban is a cheater just like him. The plot thickens for sake of time. Laban deceives Jacob and then Jacob deceives Laban and so on. And Jacob decides he is leaving after many years. And then Laban gets angry thinking that Jacob stole his goods, which is in Genesis chapter 31, verse 30. So you can fly over there. And uh, I, I went through a bunch of stuff, so for sake of time, again, you don't have to worry about it. But in verse 31, And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peradventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. He was afraid that Laban was going to take his children. However, idolatry is still a huge part of their life at the time. And so Laban and Jacob decide that they will part and set boundaries with one another. Look at verse 41, and let's read it together. Verse 41, thus have I been 20 years in thy house. I served thee 14 years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle. Now has changed my wages 10 times. That is not the verse I want. I love when that happens to me. We interrupt this message to bring a very important something or another. Where's my verse? Verse 49. For he said, the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent from one another. So we're at verse 49, they separate, and it says right there, how many of you have seen that in people's houses? May the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent from one another. How many have seen that sign in Christian bookstores and people's homes? I've seen it. Do you understand what that means? Watch this. Here they are, they don't trust each other. They hate one another. So now all of a sudden, Jacob is running. He gets away from Laban. And so the two of them have to part ways. And so they do the handshake. And as they look at each other, here's what they truly say. May the Lord watch over you. And then Laban looks at Jacob and says, and may the Lord watch over you. May he be in between us. And may he watch over our houses. Wonder why. Here's what he's truly saying is, I don't trust you and you don't trust me. So here's our handshake. And they part ways. Do you wish that some of us would look at some people and say, well, 
I've kind of come to the realization that you and I cannot get along. And so here's how it's going to go down. May the Lord watch over you as the Lord watches over me. Because it's evident in our lives, you and I can never, ever get along. Now, come on, preacher. That's never happened to me. All of my friendships, everybody in my family, they are perfect. They love one another. We have never had any problems with anybody. You see, we have a perfect family. That's not true, is it? So we actually say this, that they knew what was going to take place and they said, be very, very careful because the Lord needs to watch over us. And so what did they do? They established safe boundaries. If you've ever been in my office for counseling, I always talk about boundaries. Having safe boundaries, boundaries established. Those people in your lives that you know you just can't get along. You can love them, but you can't live with them. You can love them, but you can't have them in your yard. You can love them, so keep them at a distance. Glory, hallelujah. I'm happy for that one. Very difficult for me because when you look in the New Testament where it says, but turn the other cheek. How many cheeks do we have? Don't answer that. I interrupt this message. Let's rewind the tape and go over this again. So do I need to say that we need to establish, wow, safe boundaries with other people. That should be one that should be written down in a newspaper somewhere. Some of you young ladies have had to put boundaries in relationships so that young men don't take advantage of you. Sometimes it's just not possible to have reconciliation. And sometimes you absolutely need boundaries it's a must. And you see, some people will never change. And there are some people with whom you can never reconcile with. Because if you do try to reconcile, it will always be on their terms and always have expectations of manipulation that are all a part of the reconciliation process. So it may be better. This may be very hard to hear. But sometimes it is easier to just separate from them. Wow. That's a pondering thought. If you'll please turn that air off, many folks in this congregation would be so grateful. That's it. Come on. I got more amens on that one. See ya. <laughs> Do you guys know... Hey, I have to tell you, it's hard to preach on offenses. It's hard to preach on reconciliation because some of you are sitting there going, mm-hmm, yeah, you think I'm going to do that? You're wrong. I ain't doing that. It is hard, and yet I love the truths from God's Word. I love what He has to say. We must realize that sometimes it is easier to just separate from people. There was a wicked, evil mother that mother-in-law, she was just a pain in the royal neck. <laughs> Almost said rump roast. See, she thought her sense of significance was just to be there to manipulate and to divide the family. And you see, I think with her, she thought that that's where she gained her strength 
and her power. What you need to do is you need to move away from that. You don't need to accept that. One lady says, my mother is so controlling and likes to divide that I always call her the Midwest distributor of guilt. Always making her feel guilty. Can't we just live a life of love and fun and excitement and enthusiasm? Why would we want to do that? That's, that's not as exciting as gossip and backbiting and stabbing and animosity and conflict. and Oh, it just wore me out. I'm ready for a nap. Sometimes you just have to draw boundaries and say, as it does in Genesis 31, 49. May the Lord watch between you and me as we are absent from one another. That's what Jacob and Laban were saying to one another. I'm not saying that this is the answer, but some in this room are listening to me and probably thinking that I fit in the category, yet they think I am talking about someone else and not them. And so this morning, I hope that you're taking this message and saying, are these some of my characteristics and attributes? And today, I want to change who I am. You have to forgive them even though reconciliation may not be possible with them. My father-in-law is probably listening to my podcast, but I'm going to tell you this. Let him hear it. Yesterday, in the afternoon, my mother-in-law, and they're divorced. She's remarried. She was sitting out there, and she looked at me, and she said, I've been married now for 20 years. 20-some years. And she said, why do I still harbor bitterness towards my first husband? I said, because you haven't let it go. You see, it doesn't affect him. It affects you. You have to let God come in and relieve and release some of that bitterness and anger that you have. It breaks my heart. It really does. For years, my mother-in-law would drink. And I'm so thankful that, uh, how many years is she sober? Six? Five years? Five years she's sober. Can I just say this to the church this morning? If you are dealing with some bitterness and hate and unforgiveness, can I just ask you to do this today? Just make it right with God. You'll breathe better. You'll sleep better. God will start healing in you. It's amazing. I'll tell you, starting a church and seeing people go, I, I found myself at one point going, I'm going to be bitter at them. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get back. I'm be vengeful. Really? Who was it hurting? Me. And so I have peace and love. And so it helps me to know that through that, God is always there. Sometimes full reconciliation is not possible, but partial reconciliation can be possible. And so even though there are people out there, like I just mentioned, please don't look at that as an excuse to say, everybody in my life, I'm just going to kick to the curb. That's not good. God gave you your family. So Jacob is on his way back, and now he encounters Esau. Which brings us to chapter 32, verses 1 through 7. 
Listen, I love this part of the scripture. Chapter 32, verses 1 through 7. Jacob is full of fear and is thinking, my brother Esau is probably going to kill me and get even with me. And so this concludes my life. And Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. There it is again. An encounter with God. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which means angels of God or God's camp. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau, reverenced his authority. Thy servant Jacob says this, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there, and I lived with him until this very minute. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants, and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and herds and the camels, into two bands, into two groups, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. So we stop. Jacob wonders, What am I going to do now? So he shows us here in Genesis and outlines steps of reconciliation. One, Jacob sends his brother a gesture of goodwill. Jacob sends his messengers ahead to speak to Esau and finds out that his brother has 400 men headed right towards Jacob. Jacob then becomes afraid. He sends his brother's animal, he sends his animals to his brother as gifts. So now we are starting in verse 13. And we realize that he's sending 550 animals, and here is the gesture of good will. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. I'm going to stop. Isn't it amazing that when we look at that, how many of you have said this? It was so sweet of that person to hand me a gift, and I feel love now. That was their gift of sacrifice. That was their gift of alms. That was their way of saying, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And so all Jacob was trying to do, he said, you know what? I'm nothing. But one thing he did have is what? Did he have the favor of God on his life? He did. And so we noticed that God came to him, not just in the dream, through the angels. God's always speaking to Jacob. We're the first to leave, and and by no means am I giving excuses. I'm not going to live a sinful life, but God uses some sinful men and changes their life, changes their hearts, so that in their weakness, he becomes strong. And then you start to see God really do a work in people's lives. We often say, I have this expectation of the pastor and the pastor's wife. They're to live holy, separate, righteous 
lives. They're not to leave their house. They're to wear ash cloth or whatever and uh, just pray 24-7 until I need to call them. Then they need to be available for me. Well, that's not possible. It's not possible. We live in a sinful world. Amen? We live in a place where, you know what, we live in a society with sinful people. Isn't it amazing when you start to show love and kindness that it softens the heart of the one offended? He is admitting, I have done wrong, I'm sorry. Please, 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 Esau, turn your heart back to me. Number two, he meets God. Let's back up. Let's look in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I have passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two groups, two bands. And he says this in verse 11, and I love this this context of the verse, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, lest he will come and attack me, and the mother with the children. Now said, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. So he meets God. In verse 25, he has an encounter with God, a man, deity of God. And so we start to notice that even through Scripture, that as we continue to read, that he comes upon a man. And then all of a sudden, they have a little bit of a wrestling match. So let's go ahead in verse 25 of Genesis. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. And I love that because it means prince with God is what the word, the name Israel means. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. That, the word actually means face of God. So here we are. Jacob seeks a blessing, but the man says, who are you? And then he says, I am Jacob. I am the cheater. I am the heel grabber. Now your name shall no longer be Jacob. It says there you shall be Israel, striver, prince of God. So let me ask you, what is going on here? God was humbling him and bringing him to a point of humiliation, yet weak in himself and totally dependent on God. God humbles him and weakens whom he blesses here's what's going on he wants to cause reconciliation with his brother he's in fear of his brother he encounters a man the man ends up being god he all of a sudden touches his thigh makes him gimp so now he's weak and he can't make it without the anointing of god And so again, in the midst of all of this hardship, what does God do? He comes down, 
he picks him up and he says, listen, I'm still the God of Abraham. I'm still the God of Isaac. And I promised your father and I promised your grandfather that you will be blessed. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go and make things right with your brother. God speaks to us and we close our ear. God shows us things and we close our eyes. When are we going to allow God to be real in our daily walk? When are we going to allow God to start to do a work in and through our lives? Listen closely. Paul was used, yet Paul always had a thorn in the flesh. Sometimes we're sick, sometimes we have broken relationships, yet God always humbles and weakens those whom he intends to bless. So the story continues. Jacob is limping. He is going to see Esau. And now that brings us to our third point. He greatly humbled himself. Oh, how I love the conclusion the, the music's starting to swell. The orchestra is playing. And God starts to show himself real. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 33, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came. And with him 400 men, and he divided the children unto Leah and Delay and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. Or you could say last. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and, and I'm sorry, verse 3. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He bowed himself. And in verse 10, I love what it says here. And Jacob said, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Jacob asks, I pray, I have found favor with thee. You see, this is a God experience, a God story. God is involved or reconciliation would never, ever have taken place. Jacob and Esau are reconciled. Now, do you believe Jacob should have brought up the issue and asked for forgiveness? However, if you'll notice in the story, he didn't. Although with God in the midst, reconciliation starts to take place, and I'm sure Esau remembers all too well what is conniving little snotty-nosed brother did. Esau forgives and is ready to be reconciled to his brother. So he runs up to him and says, Listen, Esau, do you know? I, I am so, as he's probably asking for forgiveness, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. As he's probably looking around him going, Okay, I'm dead. I'm surprised I'm not like splatter on a wall. Okay, please forgive me. And he was serious. But yet, as he was wrestling with God, his brother appears. And God says, listen, you need to love the unlovely. See, you're the one that went after Esau. Then Esau, then in return, 
went after him. And yet God in the midst of it all saying, reconciliation, reconciliation, reconcile yourselves, ask for forgiveness, love one another. And you know what it says in there? And he embraced him and loved him. Wow. I'll tell you what I've done. Mm-hmm. You think I'm going to do that? You're out of your love or love of mind. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, you know the story. You hear it in your head. The good spirit, the bad spirit. Remember Tom and Jerry, the good angel, the devil. You guys saw that picture. And so the whole time he's like, I'm not going to do it. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. And so there was Jacob saying, I've got to make things right to have the blessings of God. And so we learned from the story that reconciliation can take place when both parties agree to forgive one another. We don't want to forgive because it's more fun and more exciting and it's attracting or attractive to all of us to have awesome stories to tell. Listen to what I did to her. Listen to what I did to him. Well, guess what? In this story, I do notice that Jacob is on a journey by himself. And yet, the one that was most important was God who was with him. So, here's an interesting twist to the end of the chapter. Esau says, let's travel together. Jacob pauses and makes excuses, declines the offer, and the two part ways, and we don't even know if they ever saw one another again. However, Jacob goes on, and some say, well, he is probably up to his scheming and his scamming. But you will see next week that he has ten children and what takes place with them. Now, I'm going to say this in closing. God sometimes uses a crooked stick to make a straight line. Here's the question. Who would you rather have as a neighbor? Jacob or Esau? Many would say Esau because of who he was. He was the nice guy. He was just the great guy. Yet the Bible says he was a profane Man, he despised his birthright. Think this through, that the Bible says, and we repeat, that God of Abraham, Isaac, and... It does not say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but Esau didn't care. He went his own way. So then we look at Jacob, the cheater, the liar, the deceiver. And yet in his lifetime, Jacob did encounter God. You see in the scriptures that time after time, God is coming to Jacob. God came to him in his sleep, and now, and that is because he came to know who? Jehovah God. You see, God chose him to have the birthright, the family line, and all the legal ramifications and continuation of the family. Isn't it amazing and shocking that God would use someone that wasn't as upright and as an upstanding individual? Hmm. God used him. If you think you can't be used, you won't be. God wants to use you. 
When I read that letter last night and I thought, he's got people in his church that have become lazy, self-centered, no good for nothing sinners. You've got to be kidding me. We are part of the kingdom of God and it's time to wake up church and start doing something for the cause of Christ. Haven't you seen that God uses people whose lives aren't as upright as they should be? God calls all sinners to repentance. Jacob manipulated, he twisted, and would never trust God in giving him what he needed. He wanted to take it before God could bless him. Maybe you don't have fame and fortune because that's your focus. Your focus should be God, should be others. I love this song by the Gaither Group. Loving God, loving each other. And it goes into making music with my friends. You can't make music with your friends if you hate one another. You never will. You'll always have that adversity, that dissension. Are you impatient? Are you so insistent that it will be your way that you take matters in your own hands and don't trust God for them? The message of Jacob is that God has to give us his blessing his way and not our way. Kick that air on if you would, please. Second, reconciliation is God's work. God reconciles himself to us, doesn't he? God was in Christ reconciling himself to us, and today there is someone who hasn't trusted in Christ as Savior, and therefore you are not reconciled to Christ. You know the lingo, you know the songs, you know the prayers, but you have never been drawn in by his love, and you've never received him. So I urge you today to come to him in faith and in humility and be reconciled to God today. But more importantly, come to be forgiven and yet come to be received. Reconciliation is God's work. Then be reconciled to others. Do whatever it takes to be reconciled to other people. Remember, if you can't forgive others, then your Father in heaven can't forgive you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. If we are to be in touch with God, then we must be in touch with God's people. Jesus even said on the Sermon on the Mount, If you have an offense with your brother, go be reconciled with him and with him alone. Better yet, if you have a gift and you're on your way to the temple, leave the gift, make it right, your offense, then bring the gift afterwards. If you, the offender, go and make it right. And yet, some of us can say this. What about if I'm the innocent? Well, if you're the innocent, please make it right. Then bring your gift to God. You see, the whole premise to this story today, God is a God of reconciliation. And he calls all of us to be reconciled. The world says separate, yet God says, please work on reconciliation. I say this and I will conclude. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in what? My name. Yep. He's there. He says, I will be there also. I'm in the midst. Here am I. Jesus desires to be in the middle of the two of you so that his spirit can bear witness with both of you and then reconciliation can take place. 
You see, most people will say, Father, today we just thank you. We praise you, Lord. There's two of us here worshiping. And so we come before you, Lord. Your presence is with us. What that text actually means is where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. Guess what? Reconciliation will never take place between you and her or you and him unless God comes down and he shows his love, he shows his forgiveness, and then you accept it and then you live a pure life. Forgiveness takes place when there are two people coming together in oneness so that God can then start to do His work. I'm saddened. I'm saddened in churches across America. Across America, across the land where people are not reconciling with one another and all they say is, yep, left that church because I don't like this about him. I left that church because I don't like that about her. Because I don't like that about them because he acted this way She acted that way, and I'm out of here. Now, we learned about reconciliation today. What's more important? To pick up your candy and your marbles and run, or to stop and say, God, you are the God of my yesterday. You're the God of today. You're the God of tomorrow. And Lord, Deal with me right here, right now, and fix this problem. I was called to New Hope. We are celebrating nine years. I have lost some great friends. You know why? They never respected me as their pastor. Listen, they never respected me. All I said was, can we make this change over here? I'm thinking that, you know, you're running two people in this class. What about if we take you and move you over here, use your giftings over in this area, because even Paul said in Corinthians 12 that you have these gifts. Let's not use them over here because they're not really effective. But let's, did I sit there and put them down? No, I said, let's take those giftings and those talents. Let's see, I'm out of here. So then they leave and they run. Yeah, I've, I've had to deal with it. And so then I lay in the middle of the night going, what did I do to them? Oh, no. Well, guess what? If they respected me like I respected them, then they wouldn't have grabbed their marbles and candy and ran. They would have dealt with the problem. Mm-hmm. Do I hear an amen up in there? We are not dealing with our offenses. We are suffering through them. We are bitter. And now we hate everybody. And we're going to go to church where we can sit and not do anything for the cause of Christ. God loves you. God loves this church and He desires reconciliation with all men. Jesus came to serve, not be served. I'm not angry today. I'm speaking out of love because these messages have hit home with me. And so I've learned some great principles, some great attributes of Christ that now I can run no longer. I know God's embraced me. Listen, you're holding on to some offenses from your childhood. You hated that your mama did this, that your papa did that, that your brother did this, that you were offended this way, you were offended that way, and you never gave it to God. And so that's why you can't be used of God. God wants you to be reconciled to Him and to others so that your life can be full, blessed, and overflowing. He loves you. Give Him a praise offering.
This morning, I ask you to do this. God is already working on your heart. The Spirit of God is with you today. He's already prompted your heart, and He has told you this. Listen, I want you to be delivered. I want you to be reconciled with me. I want you to let go of that bitterness, that hate, that unforgiveness, and I want you to run. Listen, when Esau came before his brother... I mean, when Jacob came before Esau, and Esau came before Jacob, and it says that they embraced and loved each other. Oh, God, help us because we're so hateful. Lord, help us to love one another more. This morning, you come to the altar. If you can't forgive somebody because you can't have fellowship with them, you can just let go and let God have. And when you walk away from the altar, you can say, you know what? I've now not only been reconciled with God, I'm now reconciled with that person. I may not ever be able to fellowship with them again. I may not ever be able to to enjoy some sweet, sweet memories, some times together. But it's okay. But you need to let go. And you need to let God work in you. He loves you. Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we're just thankful, Lord, for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that through suffering, God, we can come to you, Lord, and you can start to heal us. Lord, you could start to renew us. God, we can't do this on our own. We can't do this in our own fleshly nature. God, you've got to help us. God, we are a disappointment to you and to others. But until we come to the realization, Lord, that we're just sinners and we come to the realization that, yes, we have done some things wrong and now we need to make it right with people, maybe even people in this room. God, I don't know who it is, but Lord, I want revival to take place in our hearts, in our lives, in our churches, in our homes, in our families, our marriages, Lord, with our children, so that we can start to see you for who you really are without all of the the blinders and, and the clouds and Lord, I want to see the light of you. God, today, would you please, if you spoke to somebody here today, Lord, would you let them come and just bow their head in humility and in the weakness of their own sinful nature and come before you, Lord, and just give them a touch and let them know that, God, you want to heal them from the inside out. Lord, bless your church. Bless your people. Lord, thank you. That I know, I know, I know I was called to start new hope. I didn't do this by myself. Lord, it's taken a community of believers as we've come together to do your work. But Lord, through all hardship, Lord, I let go and I let you have full control. Lord, thank you for your peace. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion, your mercy that, Lord, just has swelled up back in my heart. And, Lord, that I can walk down the streets and love people, not have to run behind a bush, not have to worry about what people are saying or doing. Lord, I'm doing your work till you rapture me home. Thank you, Father God. Bless your people. Lord, help them today to be renewed and to be reconciled to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.